welcome to the Deeper Into Movies podcast. My name is Stephen T. Hanley. I'm the founder and lead creator of Deeper Into Movies. We're a pop-up cinema based in London and New York. Today on the podcast, I am joined by actor, filmmaker, creator, and maker of fantastic movie merch, Kentucky Oddly. Kentucky I've been a fan of for many years. He's in my favorite Alex Ross Perry movie, Queen of Earth. He's the man behind the incredible Movies brand, which makes amazing film hats and apparel. And he's back with a new movie, which he's co-directed called Strawberry Mansion, which is fantastic. Thanks to our pals at Bulldog Film for distributing this movie in the UK and putting me and Kentucky in touch for this pod. Strawberry Mansion is kind of like Tron meets Eternal Sunshine of a Spotless Mind. It's a great movie, one of our favorites of the year. It's on streaming and it's in UK cinemas. I urge you to check it out. This is a great chat. Here is me and Kentucky. Hey man, how are you? Good, how you doing? Really good. Nice to meet you. So if we go right back to the beginning, was there a movie that made you want to get into movies or a film you saw that made you realize it's possible to kind of make cool, interesting, personal, low budget work? Yeah. So I, it was it was in high school. I was kind of on this uh I was I was playing sports. I was playing soccer, American soccer, and I was kind of focused entirely on that. And then I think freshman year in college, uh, freshman year in high school, I saw Bottle Rocket, Wes Anderson's first movie, and that kind of started everything for me because it just it felt like a different type of movie than I'd ever seen. And from there, I just started. Uh, it just gradually, slowly digging my way into like really small scale personal indie visions um, over the course of my high school years um, started, you know, getting into some, you know, like started smoking weed, started like, you know, getting interested in some, into, in some, some uh, into different music and, and art and started leaving my um, athletic career in the, in the, in the dust. Um, but yes, I would say, through high school, I was just sort of soaking up a lot of these small indie films and then uh, never, never thinking that I could actually make them or that I was that would be where I was headed in my career, but just starting to explore what I was interested in and and um, just kind of look around and because I, I didn't I knew I really didn't really want to play sports in college. Um, so I was just kind of looking around for what was next. And did you go to film school? Yeah, so I went to I went to an art school in Savannah, Georgia, for a year and dropped out um, after the first year, which is financial reasons. Kind of um, didn't really dawn on me how much money it was to go to art school and how how reckless it seemed to be spending that much money on a, on this period of 
of indecision and period of, of, of exploration that I, I didn't really have a game plan. I was just kind of feeling it out. Um, so then I, uh, so I dropped out of school and, and moved back in with my, with my mom and dad and got a job and started work and started working on a script. Um, cause I knew I just wanted to make a movie. And so, um, I, I realized I didn't want to go back to school and I was just going to make this movie. And then I showed this after about nine months of working on this thing, I showed it to my dad and he, he read it and he, he told me I had to go back to college. Uh, I guess that was because it wasn't any good. Um, <laughs> and so I went back to school at university of Memphis and, and, um, and, and, and started, started anew with like just a general kind of communications education that was a little bit focused on film and TV, but not really. And how is that? Were you discovering cool stuff in uni or continuing with the filmmaking? Yeah. Um, yeah, I started, I, I fell in with a group in Memphis called the, the media co-op, which was, um, this film collective that was run out of the basement of a church. It was un disconnected from the church, but it was, the church had lent, they didn't know what to do, do with their basement space. So they lent us this space. And we had screenings there and, and editing labs and, and, and workshops and, and this and that. And that's where I really started to understand how the pieces come together. And um, yeah, so that was kind of how I parlayed this interest into actually making something. And, uh, and yeah, just continuing to fall in love deeper and deeper with indie movies. And um, yeah, just, I, you just one step at a time and it just kind of gradually starts to accumulate and you start to find the uh, a new direction sort of how to double down on the old direction how to like keep just keep stimulating yourself and keep trying to find things that that are um sparking your attention so when did you get your break how did you get into acting and directing as a full-time gig still looking for my break um <laughs> I, uh, yeah, no, so my, I don't know. It's like, I might, I've, it's been a very, it's been a very long climb of very, very gradual, uh, you know, um, building towards something that resembles a, a career in film. But, um, I think, uh, my, with my, with my first feature, it kind of got lumped into uh, the mumblecore movement back in 2006, seven. Um, and I think that was the first thing that kind of, gave my work some context and though my movie wasn't like the top of the list of, of movies that people talked about when they talked about mumblecore it was it was definitely in the in the pile so just to say that you know you've made movies under the mumblecore moniker it felt like okay this gives it some significance um and then from there i, would, I just met a lot of these other filmmakers who were making movies of this nature and I, I you know they would ask me to act in their film and i would i would do it and they would get bigger and they would um you know ask me to act in a slightly bigger project um and then you know, as their careers kind of snowballed i was kind of along for the ride in some in in in, in some ways and um so beyond that it, it just became um yeah, it was just it was just a series of tiny little steps that have have led me to a really minor plateau, um, 
but um, I'm happy with the view. You know, it's 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 not something I was ever really trying to do to like have a mainstream career. So I'm happy to kind of just float in the underground. I don't know what came first. Was it the movie brand of? Uh, I think I first saw your video essays where you swapped out the Royal Tenenbaum score with Pop Hits of a Day. Yeah. And I remember you used Stained. Was that was it Stained you used on the um, Suicides? Probably. I, well, that could have been Rushmore. I did one for Rushmore as well. Um, you know, to be honest, I was just, I was just plucking them off the, you know, that's what I call music uh, playlist. I wasn't really paying attention to the names, but I remembered the songs. But yeah, Stained sounds right. Um, but yeah, the the idea there was just to, to uh, replace the carefully curated uh mix of old and new songs that Wes Anderson would 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 put in his movies and just sort of plop in kind of what is popular at the time of making the movie um and yeah so I think that that was a pretty interesting experiment that I did for both I did for Rushmore I did for Royal Tenenbaums and then I also did a uh, a garden state with uh with the soundtrack to um the graduate yeah and did you dave matthews for garden state i did garden state with a fully dave matthews soundtrack and then i did the graduate with the garden state soundtrack yeah that was a great experiment did you ever get any cease and desists or directors asking what the hell you're doing or why uh a lot of whys a lot of <laughs> why did you do this a lot of um how dare you um but no nothing official I feel like maybe it was a slightly different time back then, mm -hmm. you know, 10, seven, 10 years ago. I don't know if I could get away with it. I kind of, I don't know. I stopped. I, I did a series of video essays on, on nineties movies that, that um, were, you know, satirically uh, exploring movies that were maybe taken a little too seriously at the time. And, and I, um, and I thought it would be, it'd be fun to kind of have a, um, a new look at movies like um like pleasantville or powder or um movies that were really popular in the 90s that i think started to become a little you know it's like a, a mainstream movie is a mainstream movie it's like you can't really think that deeply about most of these things yeah i liked your take on indecent proposal that was really fun yeah that was my lost video essay that i did i, I did um and then I shelved for a while because I felt like it was a little too close to the bone. I, I thought it was, uh, I actually liked that movie way more than I liked the other movies. And so I kind of lost a little bit of the satire and a little bit, a little bit of the comedy. And I was just kind of like, you know, it was more of a piece of appreciation and it got really dark and it wasn't really that funny. But um, so I, I shelved it for a couple of years and then I finally released it once enough time had passed. Yeah, I rewatched all those Adrian Line movies. I think he's amazing. The way he shoots things is really unique and interesting, I think. Definitely. Yeah, those are incredible movies. I mean, I think Indecent Proposal is a, is a masterpiece. I think it's incredible. I mean, I was just in Vegas, and I mean, I, I don't know. It's not really connected, but I was just, I was re really remembering that movie again. And it, I don't know. I love, I love Demi Moore. I love Woody Harrelson in that movie and redford of course you know but i think it's a i think it's an incredible movie that's been sort of not properly appreciated yeah i think um aside from all the 
kind of over-the-top 80s erotic thriller elements to his films. I think stylistically and his, his um, execution is just really amazing. Even when you look back at stuff like Flashdance and stuff, some of the cinematography is so cool. Definitely. I think he's a real stylist. A lot of style, a lot of just getting to the core of uh, the emotional situations and, yeah, really turning the knife at, at points and really making you feel um, emotionally engaged. Yeah, and he made Jacob's Ladder, which is absolutely haunting. They're all haunting in, in a way. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. And I, I think he does things you can't really do anymore or you're not supposed to do. But um, yeah, I think those movies stand up. I think they, they, they hold up to the test of time. And I think I bought a movies hat. Would it probably be around 2017? How did you, how did you launch that brand? Long before the A24 merch and stuff, you got you seem to be one of the first people to have a really cool, <laughs> very specific film brand, film yeah. apparel brand. Yeah, I was getting the word early on from A20, when A24 was just getting rolling. Josh Safdie, you know, a friend of mine was telling me that the, the A24 guys always wore the movies hats. And I was like, maybe we should get do a movies uh, uh, crossover. But I didn't really ever, you know, I'm not that enterprising. But um, and then they started their own thing and took off. But um, yeah, so I, I mean, the movies, I, I, I was just doing a lot of satire at the time. I was doing a lot of just internet pranks and, and this and that. And um, the movies hat kind of grew out of an extension of that. It was sort of a, a comment on cr crowdfunding. It started as a Kickstarter. And uh, I was just looking to raise like $350 to, to, to make 12 hats because that was the minimum I could, that I could, that I could order through the, the company that I was looking for. So yeah, I just wanted this hat that said movies on it. And I, I thought maybe a couple, a couple more people would, would, would want that as well. And um, we sold like a hundred, 200 on the first, like within the first hour or two. So I was like, okay, well, maybe, you know, maybe this can turn into a, a brand, but yeah, that, that was kind of, yeah, it's sort of that still that line of satire and, you know, it's kind of, it's like, what's the satire on? It's like a lot, it, you know, it's a little un, unclear. It's, it's, a, it's kind of a satire on a company. It's a satire on a startup. It's a satire on crowdfunding. It's a satire on just personal brands. But also, I love movies, and it's also very sincere as well. So it's complex. That's funny. Yeah, I wore I wore that hat when I interviewed Josh for Good Time, when he was in London, and he was like, "Oh shit, you're wearing the movies hat," and he took a photo and sent it to you straight away, saying, "It's reached. Um, your brand has reached overseas." <laughs> but yeah. That hat was really good because I, I have a weird thing where I like collecting weird movie memorabilia. Again, way before A24 started that whole secondhand store of weird movie memorabilia. And I, I, I always like weird hats from bad movies Yeah, that I find, I find on eBay. And often I've got a big box of hats that I rummage through and I'm trying to find which is my mood of the day. Yeah, you know, Do I want my meet the parents hat? Do I want this? And then if yeah. I can't decide, I always go for the movies hat. Which just which just encompasses movies in the big sense, so it's just perfect. Absolutely, that's that's what it's there to do. You know, you don't have to make the decision, and, and it's also, you know, a lot of hats are sports based, teams based. You know, so like I feel like movie uh, makers and artists were left out of that that loyalty 
you know, so you, so if you, if you're an artist, if you're a filmmaker, now you got your own hat. And where where did the art house garbage cap come from? Was that like a review? Was that a review you overheard or? Yeah, that was that was that was indeed a review um, from Amy Simons's uh, new movie. She dies tomorrow. I um, it was I it was a review that that not only called it art house garbage, but also attributed the film to a breakup of their marriage. Um, so I felt like I so I posted that on um on instagram just saying like okay be careful out there if you watch before you watch this film uh and then the idea just came up that like okay this might be a, a good little phrase for a hat i the the um the implication being that like the way that some people talk about art house movies is that is there a sort of garbage by definition you know like they don't have enough money and so they're like you know inherently pretentious or inherently um something to be avoided um so i i just like kind of calling into attention that mindset of like if it's an art house movie it's it's not good uh that also had um within that art we had a whole art house collection line where we had sweatshirts that said nothing happens which is another <laughs> common uh, uh criticism of of small movies where that aren't plot-based um then another one said fell asleep. Another one that says 90 minutes I can't get back. So, oh man, that's a good one. So just like the a lifetime worth of of reading reviews about your own work and and just being kind of amused by the the vitriol that people throw at <laughs> small movies just because of their smallness. And also because, you know, you know, there's other reasons, but it it sometimes it feels some very personal sometimes and when did you start no budge did it start off on tumblr is that right yeah so that was i started as a tumblr blog 2011 i believe just as a another another experiment to just you know it was like kind of the earlier days of the internet um and just as an experiment to congregate films that I thought were interesting that I didn't have other homes uh, as of yet. I, I think distribution, film distribution kind of didn't catch up to the onslaught of digital, you know, mumblecore and related movies that were being, that were suddenly being filmed and edited at rapid succession in that, at that period. So there was just this overabundance of films that and i thought a lot of them were interesting but they weren't they didn't really have distribution options and so it just seemed kind of inevitable and intuitive to to start a new a place that would only be focused on these types of movies and uh just try to give some support and um, encouragement for these type of films and so yeah so it started out off as a tumblr blog way back then and i just kind of kept it alive all these years and then 2018 i believe it kind of took on a new life it got some good press coverage and it started running it as a, as a daily operation, but yeah, it's still running. I still write up a film every day, post a film every day. And, um, it's a good exercise and I, I, I really enjoy doing it. And it gives me kind of peace of mind to have this thing to focus on all these years. When it was on Tumblr, were you already posting like Vimeo films and stuff or did it expand from there to a page in the platform? 
Yeah, I mean, we, we on the Tumblr page, we would just link, we would just embed people's Vimeo links, um, and then we would just write write them up and and, and share them in that way. And then we expanded to, um, you know, a, a, another simple website beyond that was uh, it was just a Squarespace spot for many years. That was just like the same idea of um, embedding filmmakers' Vimeo or YouTube account uh, channels, and then just writing them up and sharing them on social media and just trying to, you know, signal boost these films that were being self-released. In the last two years, we started our own um, dedicated online platform so that it, it's all coming through our platform now. But it's the same idea. It's just, it, it's not an exclusive platform. It's not, we're not a distributor. We're not, we, we encourage our filmmakers to look for other opportunities to share the work, but um it's just a signal boost and a, and, a, and, a, and a show of support and encouragement. And how do you keep up with finding new submissions? Is this just come, become organically now through word of mouth and your submission form? I was wondering in the early days how you kept uh, eyeing all the emerging talent and shorts. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's just something I do every day. I, I just, yeah, the submissions are, I would say at this point, 99% of the films we show are submissions. Uh, occasionally I'll come across a, a film some in some other way and reach out to the filmmaker. But most of the time I'm just plowing through. Um, I just watch all of the films and, and, and determine which ones I think are most interesting and then, uh, and write those up and, and uh, figure out ways to showcase them. And also we have live screenings in New York uh, as, as well for, for a lot of the shorts. How is it keeping up with the submissions? We have started doing a quarterly short film showcase, which we really enjoy doing. It's really good for the community, but it's a hell of a lot of work working through all the short films and responding to everyone and then creating. So I was wondering, how have you mastered this workload for a, is it a new film every day? Yeah, for the most part. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's just kind of my job. I mean, like that's basically my job at this point. I, I, I make movies on the side when I can, but I'm, I, I mean, most of my livelihood is, is being a curator is, is running the site. Um, so this is what I do every day. I, you know, it is a huge workload and, um, it does get sort of exhausting to, to watch eight short films a day or whatever it is. you know we don't get that many submissions every day but sometimes there are just a massive amount of, of submissions to watch um and to uh yeah like coordinating coordinating with filmmakers curating the live shows it, it, it's a lot of work but also it's work that i enjoy and and i, th I think that's kind of why i'm making movies now with a partner because and he, you know, my my co-director, Albert, he also has a ton of stuff he does on the side as well. So like between the two of us, we can continue to make movies as a as a duo and kind of share the, the workload. But yeah, we have a, a ton of stuff to do outside of being a indie directors. What have you learned from speaking to all these young filmmakers dealing in this world where you can you can kind of make anything, you can upload something, but having it cut through and get seen or gain traction seems to be the biggest issue I get from speaking to aspiring filmmakers. Yeah. Yeah. It's very easy to make things. It's very easy to upload them, get them on to a, 
you know, like when I was growing up, the the, the problem was the distribution, the, the ability to have anybody have access to see the work. Mm -hmm. And now it's, that's the easy part. And the, the hard part is to cut through the noise, like you said. And I, I don't, I don't know. I, I, I think it's a frustrating experience to try to make any films these days, especially short films, because no one really pays attention to them. It's very hard to um, get go viral off a piece of actual art. You know, I think most of the time people watch videos, it's just really disposable content that are like prank based or, you know, um, real life based. I, I, yeah, I, I don't think that um, it's a very encouraging, um, like, there's not a lot of, uh, to me, I, I don't necessarily see the, 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 that many options with young indie filmmakers today. That's why I think no budge. That's why I do no budge because I feel like, mm -hmm. you know, there aren't a lot of options and there aren't a lot of opportunities to be seen or discussed or taken seriously because it's, we're we're entertained all day long with with social media and 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 sort of slick glossy cheap tv shows and you know memes and everything else it's like we don't really have a lot of time left for like a, a you know a thoughtful short film or a, you know a movie that hasn't been marketed to us incessantly or you know i think it's always been the case but I think it, it's it's the wall that most filmmakers come up against when they realize that, oh, I want to make movies. And it's like, it seems so possible. It seems like, you know, all you have to do is make it and you're going to find your audience and then you and then you make it. And then it's just like this brick wall you run into. It's like you, you, most people don't have their work seen by very many people. And it's just it's 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 quite a frustrating experience for for a lot of filmmakers. But. It, it's kind of you have to evaluate what you're in it for. If you want to, do you want to resonate with millions of people? Then you have to start looking at it differently. If you want to just sort of make m movies for you and your friends and your in a small network, I think that's a very valuable place to to work from. And I think it's there are a ton of reasons to make movies on that in that level in that context. Um, but you know, it's it, you're not going to break through if you're ninety percent of the people making making work. And I don't think that necessarily should be the, the easy goal for everyone. Alex Ross Perry said something really interesting and sad where he said when he was looking back at the filmmakers in the early 2000s like Sofia Coppola and Wes Anderson the steps in their career where they went from a $50,000 movie to a 1 million then a bigger step to like a 5 million well the system's completely changed from the cinema market to the rental market to the DVD market and then you've got the sky and cable so you almost had like four shots at the table to make some money back so now that that's completely changed. There's the path and the progression of new indie filmmakers just isn't what it used to be that everyone has to adjust to. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm not a historian on how it used to be. It did seem like it was a little easier, but maybe that's revisionist history. And I, I think, I think that 
the unique part about today is that there's just way, way, way more movies being made. And so there's just this so much more competition. There's so much more uh, content that is being, and there's so many more people doing different types of entertainment. So it's, it's just a, it's just a, a glut of, of things that you could, no one could possibly keep track of. So I don't, you know, I, I don't, I, I'm not saying this as a, as looking at it pessimistically. I, I don't even, you know, I, I think it's okay to make movies a certain, a different way and not necessarily be looking to be the next Wes Anderson or Sofia Coppola. I think there's a lot of, a lot of territory there that makes it worthwhile. And then if you're the next Wes Anderson and Sofia Coppola, it's not going to be what you thought it was going to be. You know, it, when I just getting to the point where I'm finally making a little bit of money off, off movies, it starts, it, it, it sort of instantly becomes a job. It instantly becomes this thing that you didn't know it was going to be. And it's just another job at that point. You know, there's still excitement and there's still creative fervor that is wrapped up in, in various parts of the process, but it's, there's a lot of, I mean, we've been trying to develop a new a new script for like another for like a year and a half, and it's it's we're just at the very 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 beginning stages of it, and you know it, it's just like you start to wonder what what is what is driving you to to spend five years on a movie that you basically make no money on. <laughs> I I keep saying I'm not being pessimistic, but then I sort of circle back and. No, that's a valid question. I've. Every few months, I, I think every creative I know hits that wall every few months where you just wonder, why the fuck am I doing this to myself? Why am I stressing myself out so much about my circumstance? You know, sh showing movies every week to 50 to 100 people if I'm lucky. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not changing. I don't know. Yeah, I'm not changing the world of doing something small, but then you kind of think, well, what the fuck else am I going to do with my life? And... I'm at the point now where there's no plan B yeah, and, and I'm not good at anything else. I don't think I, I like creating and programming and yeah, doing little creative things, but yeah, I'm too deep in it. I'm too deep in it to change. That's, that's who's left at this point is the people who didn't have a backup plan. Um, yeah. I think Joe Swanberg said that, that you just have to be a weird maniac to keep on pursuing this, your small lane in art and creativity. Yeah, yeah, where you couldn't really give up if you wanted to. Yeah, that door is always open. The giving up door. <laughs> Wasn't it like somebody asked Charles Bukowski why he writes, and he just punched him in the stomach, and it says it chooses you or something. <laughs> yeah, sounds about right. No budge is a subscription platform. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, I mean it's it's kind of uh, the next you know this next small step. I keep talking about small steps, but that's it's still just me running the show, and I, I've um, it's always been a, a one person passion passion project, and uh, but I feel like going forward, if it's going to survive, it's it's going to have to keep evolving. It's going to have to keep um, uh, trying new things, and um, so. Yeah, now now it's a it's an app. It's available on Apple Apple TV and Roku and um, and Google and Amazon. So, yeah, I mean that it, it's 
I always thought that these short films deserved to be watched on TV or watched with some more reverence um, than just sort of a, a Vimeo link kind of like mm -hmm. between your work day or something on a, on a laptop. I, I think like I've always tried to be, get, I've always tried to, I mean, not nothing against Vimeo, of course, I've always loved Vimeo, but just the, the idea of watching it on your, on your computer versus uh, kind of a more um, uh, conscious decision to sit down in front of your TV and watch something you like, you would watch a real movie, like a, a feature film. Um, so that, that was always the plan from a, a while back, but it's it just, it's just like, it's expensive to get, onto TVs and it was a lot of work, but I, I think it's at a point now where the vision of like, okay, theoretically, if somebody wants to sit down and watch an hour worth of shorts every night, they can do that. And it's, it's you know, they can add movies to their watch list. They can kind of reckon with work in a different way. They can group, group the movies, with you know the filmmaker or style or theme and and kind of like start to to see the movies in a, in a more deliberate way and you have features on there as well i saw yeah there's some features we, i mean that was kind of the original vision of no budget is, is all features but then i realized kind of quickly that most filmmakers um, were making shorts and the features we're looking at their movie differently than just releasing it online for free, which is what I did with my early work was, which I thought it was going to be the norm, but didn't really turn out to be that way. I mean, I think, I mean, I still think it's a valuable strategy if you're, you know, to, to release a feature length micro budget movie for free mm -hmm. rather than try to like, I mean, because I, I think most of these movies don't make any money either, either way. And just like the access is the important part. Um, but it doesn't seem like many people do that. So I kind of had to pivot to, to short films. Not pivot. I just I just started falling in love with short films as well. So and that was most short films were already available online for free. Do you have a no badge favorite of all time? Of all time. Wow. I I have so I have so many favorites. I I have a list of like some of my favorites from the last from the first ten years. That is like a ten year anniversary playlist on the site. Oh, cool. That's kind of halfway down the first page, but a couple come to mind. A movie called Observatory Blues um, was I think a 2017 movie that I, I fell in love with. Um, yeah, I mean it's indescribable, but I I, I feel like it it was um yeah i kind of re rejuvenated my interest in short films at a time when i was kind of fading um and another movie called um men's thanksgiving was a really big one for me which is just like a bunch of guys during thanksgiving small talking uh and there's no women around and there's like no explanation of why it's only men and like who's how there's no explanation of whose house this is and why they're exactly but it just kind of it's it's just sort of this joy of of small talk kind of satire. Um, but yeah, there's so many. I would say just check out that tenth anniversary playlist. Sure. Yeah. And I saw you have Hamon Rye on your page. That's one of my watch lists for ages that I need to see. Yeah, that's a really fascinating feature. That's one of our few features. 
Um, but yeah, that was that a factory release. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So we have like, I think five or six factory 25 movies on there and, and hopefully we'll have, uh, some more coming up. I've got huge love and admiration for Matt Grady. He's a real patron saint of indie movies. He does amazing work. Yeah, he's 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 good. He's a good one. He's done a lot of amazing movies over the years. So with Strawberry Mansion, um, how do you pitch it? A tax man in the future. Thankfully, we don't have to pitch it anymore. But um, what was your like elevator pitch? I was trying to explain it to my team today, and I was just rambling about a tax man and dreams and auditing. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, at at some point you get so tired of 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 saying this the log the the pitch or the long line, yeah. you just start saying words like dreams, <laughs> auditing, woman, you know, remote house. Um, but yeah, it it takes place in a near future where the government records and taxes dreams, and uh, our story follows a, a dream auditor who is tasked with um, following up about some unpaid taxes um of a woman living in uh, in a country house off the grid and as he dives into her her years of unpaid dreams she he sort of becomes to be infatuated with her and specifically a, a younger version of herself that she dreams of but yeah so it's, it's just sort of a you know anything goes kind of wild fantasy movie that has a dystopian kind of premise but also is it but it's you know it's about the the vision, the visuals and the colors and the and the you know like imagination and a, a lot. It just it's just sort of about a love of movies and a fascination with dreams and um, it has some some really faint commentary in there about you know, over marketing and capitalism and 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 where we find ourselves in our post in a very surveillance heavy state. It's not really about those things. It's more of just a movie about trying to um, connect with people and, and love people through time and space. <laughs> as corny as that sounds, but you know, it's it's a movie that doesn't isn't afraid to be a little corny and a, a little, um, uh, you know, playful and juvenile. And it, it's just like kids playing in the sand kind of thing. And you and Albert have co-directed before. And I'm always fascinated by directing duos. Do you have assigned roles? Do you have your strengths that you both lean into? Or do you do everything together? Yeah, we have a pretty complementary skill set. I think Albert is more focused on the imagination realm and, and the fantasy world and the visuals. And I'm, um, I'm keeping an eye on just the general flow of things, the the characters, the themes, the... Um, the arcs and uh and the the performances and um that's basically kind of the general breakdown but also we kind of every we we both kind of do everything and it just kind of feel it out as as we go we're both not what you would consider typical directors we're both kind of just have the scrappy um it's like we're you know, in high school and we're just rushing around with a camera and just trying to get the shot. And we're, we look at it with, as, as uh, we look at it as amateurs and we kind of, 
keep that spirit of 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 um just discovery and and um and a youthfulness of like just curiosity and 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 feeling like well let's just let's just see what happens if we put the camera here or let's just see what happens if we you know build this prop like this or move this buffalo like this i love that story of when nicholas rogue and donald camel were making performance and donald would work with the actors rogue would work on the technical aspect with the with the camera and warner brothers were like i think this is the future for filmmaking we just get two people to do everything together then they saw the movie with all the extreme violence sex occult mysticism pentagrams everywhere and they're like yeah fuck this idea this is we're never going to do this again <laughs> i mean it's a strange process to to make a movie with somebody else particularly if it's not your sibling which most most directing duos are um you know i never realized that that's true yeah yeah and um it's to to us it just it's natural because we feel like it's too much work for one person but it is hard to coalesce a, a single vision out of two people and i think mm-hmm. i'll talk about uh this this idea that it strawberry mansion is not what i would make and it's not what he would make and it's something that we we could only make together um and I, the the joy of, of of collaboration and and partnership in that way is just to try to stumble upon this third thing that can happen when you put two minds together and we kind of reject the idea of authorship in that way i think it's just i think we're both very amenable amenable to each other's ideas and and, a, and the ideas from a lot of different people as well it's not just us there are a lot of it's like a whole a whole band that we have built with this last movie and that hopefully we'll continue to to uh operate from it's like a lot of producers and and, and craftspeople and uh, artist friends that we've enlisted to to help us fill out this vision and it and it's their you know it's their vision just as much as us ours in a lot of cases you know for instance a stop motion animation in our film it's just this this animator lawrence becker who is um who kind of does his own thing and we just ask him to do his, his own thing and bring it to our movie and we kind of mold it a little bit based on trying to make it fit within our 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 narrative but it's basically his style and then with the music uh, with dan deegan it's just kind of the same thing where just do you just do your music and we'll just we'll we'll find a way to make your music fit into our movie his score was incredible yeah the opening sequence leading onto the titles especially it just really took it somewhere were you talking about any particular scores or previous soundtracks as reference we had a playlist that we were all listening to um that uh but i don't think we were specifically with music and also with just the general visual style i feel like we weren't we we tried not to get too specific with what we were referencing it's kind of things that we've heard or seen our whole life that we've that has just burrowed down into our psyche and our and our and our being for so many years that we weren't and it just exists in the way that it comes up is is going to be its own thing rather than kind of try to mimic something specific but i think i feel like we gave dan a lot of 
a, a, a lot of freedom to just do what he does. And I, a lot of the, I wasn't really a part of a lot of the discussions he had with him, with Albert and um, um, with anybody else involved in the music. And as you mentioned, the every detail of the set design, the props, the wall colors, the VHS player, it all looks so specific and curated. How was it building that whole kind of handmade fantasy look to your movie? The the general idea is just to stuff the frame with as much stuff that you don't normally see in your everyday life as possible, and then and as many colors and as many um, anachronistic devices. And I mean, it's a pretty simple process of like whatever is in the frame, don't make it look unique or make it look special, make it look mm -hmm. colorful, make it you know. So like anything that's that's all you're really trying to do and but you got to do that in every frame which is that that's the hard part but just finding a way to keep ordinary a commonplace period of now uh anything that's now is out you know we, we have to just make sure that everything looks old and i mean it's, it's this retro futurism thing where it's like we have this freedom to make it feel old and and futuristic at the same time but most of it just feels old and then we call it the future and you know we we built some sets the pink room was obviously built in a studio and um we we shot some reels places like the ship was a real place uh it was a real ship in baltimore and uh you know that kind of comes the way it comes and uh just try, yeah just filming in old bars and filming in places that look separated from the time we live in now how was it nailing that tron look where you entered memories which you've nailed so well that it's got that warm analog look without trying too hard to be retro war yeah analog which is so prevalent these days but this literally looks like it could be taken <laughs> from a video store in the 80s in the best way possible i mean yeah uh you know that was our you know like just if it, if it, if it was in the a video store in the 80s it it belongs in our movie. That's uh, that's kind of the thing we we were hoping to achieve. But yeah, that's a very just simple kind of hologram thing that Albert cooked up. A lot of the effects he just he can do personally, so he he just did those. We didn't, you know. I, I remember doing some tests for that because I was curious how how we were gonna do it, and he and he just whipped up some tests, fast and dirty. And I was like, okay, yeah, that looks perfect. We don't, you know, we don't have to overthink that any further. And then. A lot of the stuff, yeah, just lean into the simplicity, lean into the the lo-fi na nature of it, the, the things that you can do that are, are creative, that don't cost a lot of money, and and not try to hide that we the fact that we had no money making this movie, um, and just hope the audience comes along for a ride where it's it's the, part of the fun is like how cheap cheaply the movie was made, and part of the fun is just like how far we can take this concept on on a movie that was made completely outside the system as as non-professional as possible so that was just that's the fun for me you know and people always talk about a lot of a lot of times to say like oh these directors maybe they'll like once they have more money they'll make a better movie and to me that just is completely wrong you know it's like the fact that we had no money here is kind of what makes the movie good and i i can imagine making movies on this level for my life and like just it doesn't matter how much money you have it 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 really 
it's just what what you do with the money what you do, how, how creative you can stay and how true to a vision and a, a an ex, a way of expressing yourself or saying something about the world or saying something about in a poetic way that has nothing to do with how much money you have absolutely yeah you're in Kaveh's show about the show Kaveh comes up a lot on the podcast because we're all fascinated and obsessed with him how how was it working with him well I, I couldn't really tell you I don't um uh, so I guess I'm in the show but I haven't seen it um and I think I was on a couple episodes but it he was like, he he told me who I was like, who I was supposed to be playing after the after we shot it the first time, and then I was like, <laughs> oh, well, I was supposed to be somebody here, and I felt a little uncomfortable with the fact that I was playing another filmmaker that I knew, and I wasn't told. So he was like, I was like, I was, I was like, I don't know if I'm, I don't know if that's. Are you the guy who's blurred out in the? Yeah, so that's what he said. So he said, "Don't worry, your face is going to be blurred." And I was like, "Okay, well now I know my. I didn't know my face was going to be blurred either." So, um, yeah, and then I think he asked me back for one other episode. But oh I, yeah, when you pop up a Metrograph, I think, and at the screening yeah. where you're getting, yeah, fuck. But I, I don't know if that was supposed to be the same character. You tell me. Was this, I, I was, think was my, so. Was my face blurred on that one? I, yeah, I think you were just in the distance and he says, and I saw whoever from the first episode who was at the screening at another screening and obviously wasn't here for the Carve screening. But yeah, that's just pure Carve. That's... <laughs> yeah, that's 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 how Carve rolls. Yeah, I, I just realized I was on um, Factory site before I was talking to you, looking at your movies that were on Factory. And I saw you had the Sheik and I with the caption... The best tagline ever, lights, camera, fatwa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He, 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 yeah, he's a lore unto himself. Yeah, he's a, yeah, I love his stuff. I think I've decided not to uh, participate any, anymore, but. Um, That's what I find so funny. Even we did a screening of his new movie in London. And I said, let me give you all the ticket sales toward show about the show because show about the show has brought me so much joy over the years. It only seems fair. I just want selfishly. I just want more episodes to watch myself. Yeah. And he said, that's great. And then I thought I sent the PayPal link, the PayPal funds over and it didn't go through. And then Carver said, Hey, did you ever pay me? And I was like, Oh shit. And I checked and it didn't go through because of a dollar conversion or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I resent it and it went through and now I was like, fuck, am I going to be the cheap guy from London who <laughs> flaked on paying him and had this, you know, story about yeah. my PayPal glitching or whatever on an international transfer. And yeah, I think, I think that's what's funny about it. everyone's terrified of yeah. talking to him or sharing anything or interacting. Cause... Yeah. I have, I have, I have no problem with, I love his art, <laughs> but I do feel like I'm a little, yeah, I'm terrified to, to get into the orbit any further um, yeah once you're in the metaverse fast yeah <laughs> the cover universe you kind of uh a lot of people talk to me about being in that and i it's the you know i've done a, i've done a lot of things you know and i feel like over the last couple of years that's the thing that people mentioned to me the most and i was there for like a really confusing 30 minutes on you know and combination those two two shoots where i was there for a total of 30 minutes and i had no idea what i was doing and my face is blurred out 
and people are like, I saw you in Kaveh's thing. It's like, okay, I guess people, I guess people <laughs> are watching that and figuring out it's me somehow. Yeah. It's kind of a weird thing when you're, when I hear directors or actors are remembered for things there that you never like, but yeah, there's, I, I often mention things like, yeah, there's other things I'm more proud of, or there's other things I feel <laughs> I was a lot better in, but yeah, you can't choose. It's tough, you know? Yeah. You think you spend years on a, on a, on a project and, and people respond to it in certain ways. And then you just show up at Metrograph for 20 minutes and just like, <laughs> no, no idea what to do and just okay that's what you did yeah it's a funny one man this has been so nice talking i'm a huge fan of your movies and no budge has been a really big influence on us and i love movies brands so thanks for taking the time well i appreciate you having me on and uh, i i loved what i love deeper into movies i much appreciate it That was me and Kentucky. Sorry, I can't really talk about who Kentucky was playing in show about the show. You can probably Google it and find out, but I didn't want to snitch. Anyway, that was a great talk. Check out Movies Brands. Check out No Budge. Check out Strawberry Mansion. Kentucky's doing good work, man, and he's been doing it for a long time. Huge respect for him and all he's doing. So that's it. Thanks for listening. I'll speak to you soon. Thanks to my podcast engineer, Ewan Henselwood. Thanks to Joshua Eustace, aka Telephone Tel Aviv, for all the beautiful music. And thank you guys for listening. Different Movies. Speak soon. <laughs>